You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Michelle, and I've been attending Hope Fellowship since 2018. Please stand for today's reading. Our passage today is Judges 7, verses 15 through 18. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Good morning. So turn to the person next to you and ask them a question for me, if you don't mind. Ask them, what is your favorite underdog movie? Ask them that for a moment. Would you mind? You, do you know what an underdog movie is, right? I think you do. Yeah. It's the big guy wins, or little guy wins over the big guy, right? It's kind of sort of, sort of, yeah. Okay. Good. So now that you've got that out of the way, then what would you say would be the number one underdog movie of all time. Now, I did some research on this. Actually, I Googled is what I did, you know, to find out really what it was. What would you say would be the number one underdog movie of all time? Anybody know? Ah, Rudy is number one. Isn't that right? Yes. How many of you have seen the movie Rudy? Raise your hand if you have seen the movie Rudy. Okay, some of you have not. It's a good movie. You need to see that. All right, good deal. Um, What do you think the number two movie is? Anybody want to guess? Ah, Blindside is one of them. Rocky is number two. Rocky is number two. So I went down the list. I began to look at those. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And you say, Mark, what does this have to do with this morning? Well, it has a lot to do with this morning. Because number three <clears throat> was actually the movie Shawshank Redemption. Great movie, right? Really good movie, absolutely. And the third was Remember the Titans, right? And, uh, uh, and maybe not all of these in exactly in order as well. Uh, another, one was, another one was Miracles. It's the story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team as well. Do you know in the list was also the movie Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Did you know that, really? <clears throat> Who would have thought, right? Well, you look at the script and you kind of can figure it out. It's kind of like, you know, the the, the the little guy wins over the big guy kind of thing. And so I, I thought, well, you know, make it more relevant for us. And, and this is college football season as well. And so I thought, well, you know, there are always underdog teams. And I thought about the University of Colorado this year with their coach, Deion Sanders, and, and what they came to such prominence in the sports world as well. And hey, it's been a great story and a great story thus far. And I look forward to seeing how they that pans out in the future for them also. But I wanted to say all of that to get to this point with you this morning is we're going to talk about Gideon today, again, from the book of Judges that we're in our series preaching through the book of Judges. And that is that the story of Gideon in Judges is not one of those kinds of stories. 
I think we can frame it at that so many times. We see it as like an underdog story that the little guy wins over the big guy. And we know sort of the background. If you haven't been here, I'm going to catch you up on his life in a moment. But I think it's important to frame this narrative in the right manner as well. Because you have to go back and you have to look at it contextually to carefully frame it. And you have to find, well, what I would call a hinge pin verse. It is the central verse of this whole narrative of that of the story of Gideon being the, a judge in Israel. And that verse is chapter 6 and verse 16. It is when God, after or during this moment, when Gideon has this theophany, this visit with God. We know it being an Old Testament that appearance of Jesus and Jesus or we'll say the Lord and the Lord said to him in verse 16 of chapter six, but I will be with you. What a powerful promise that he gives him, but I will be with you. And when you use that as the brush to paint all of the story about Gideon, then what we're going to realize as we study together this morning, that it is in no way an underdog story. It it is not at all. So let me bring you up to date on his life thus far. That Israel is now living in caves due to their oppression of the Midianites. The Midianites are this large country that they don't invade and occupy Israel. But yet they come in and they take all of the harvest. They take all of the food. They remove all of the livestock. And they leave, they leave basically Israel in a famine state is what they do. And so Israel is now living in caves because they're afraid of them. Well, the Midianites have... Um, been used or is being used as an instrument by God. In fact, the scripture says that it is God who gives Israel into the hands of the Midianites because of their great sin. And, and, and so what Israel has done, though, they have fallen back into idol worship. They've forgotten the great victories back in chapter four and chapter five of Deborah and Barak and all the other judges prior to that. And so God steps in, in the middle of their mess is what God does, as he always does. And Gideon has what we call a theophany. It's this Old Old Testament appearance of Christ that we've already said. And he has that while he's hiding in a wine press, thrashing wheat, which those two do not go together because of his fear of the Midianites. And God shows up and God calls Gideon to be the deliverer, the unlikely hero of of, of Israel. And so we find Gideon, he hears these things from God, But he struggles with, you know, is this God's voice in my life? Two weeks ago, we talked a lot about how to understand if this is God's voice in my life and and when it's not as well. And so what Gideon does, he brings a meal out to God and um, God says, place on a rock. and, And then God stretches forth his staff and he consumes it with fire then all of a sudden Gideon says, oh, now I realize who this is, right? And so we also came to this realization that you should never build your life on those kinds of signs. Never build your spiritual life on those kinds of signs. But there should be also some other collaborative kind of evidence that you build your life on as well. Some of them being scripture, that a prayer of spiritual counsel and, and other types of evidence. So then Gideon asked for, after that sign, he asked for two additional signs and we know it to be called a fleece because of what he uses in that well he tests God is what he does and we called it a couple of weeks ago bath mat theology and you can't build your life or should not build your life on that 
as well. And so then after that, when God does what Gideon asks him to do, then um, God commands Gideon to tear down the idols of his father's house. Gideon obeys, but Gideon does that at night. Now, I want to stop to make a point for a minute. First of all, because we've established this already, last week, I think that, that Pastor Nathan did a very amazing job in establishing that with this as well, that Gideon is a person of great faith. We find him listed in the role of those of faith, faithful in the book of Hebrews. So we're going to read that in a moment as well. But I also want you to point out is this. Gideon is an inquisitive individual. He asks a lot of questions. He doesn't take things at face value. He is a seeker. God really responds to the heart of a seeker. Understand that. So if you're inquisitive this morning, if you're kind of the person that asks a lot of questions, you struggle with taking things at face value, then realize that, well, God does honor that and God meets you where you are in that, um, in that the way that you are wired as well. And that's the way we see Gideon. So God establishes Gideon's leadership. He tears down these idols in the middle of the night because he's afraid of his own family. And yet after that, then God raises up an army of 32,000 people for Gideon to lead. And God says, no, wait a minute, that's way too many, Gideon. So I'm going to cut it down to, well, finally 300. But it's not 300, the finest of Israel. But it's the 300 that drink like dogs at the, at the river. And he says, then we're going to arm them with trumpets, jars, and torches. It's, it's a wild story, isn't it? Yes. So I thought again about movies for some reason. And I thought about a movie that I remember years ago. It's an old movie. You may have never watched it in your entire life. But it's called The Dirty Dozen. All right? It's called The Dirty Dozen. Just to help me and understand the demographic of the room, how many of you have never seen the movie The Dirty Dozen? Raise your hand if you've never seen it. Oh, my gosh. I am old. I just realized it, right? Yes. Wow. It's a good movie um, starring a guy by the name of Lee Marvin. You don't even know who that is. I realize that. Don't Google it yet, okay? Wait till you go home and, and do that on your own. But I would call this the Dirty 300 because these are the most unlikely to do the job that God has called them to do. And then God tells Midian to go down to the, tells, tells Gideon to go down to the Midianite camp and if he's afraid, take his friend Pura with him. And so he does that. And I want you what God says basically is to listen in on their conversation. Here's where we start this week. Chapter 7, verse 12. I just want to catch you up for a moment. Verse 12 says, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay among the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Strange dream, right? Well, listen, there's more. And his comrade answered, there is no other that the sword of the Gideon, there's none other than the sword of the Gideon, the Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So I, I, I think this is a powerful thought. That they come to this conclusion in verse 14. And his comrade answered that this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So here's the first of three thoughts this morning. The first is this. A truth behind the truth of the sword of Gideon. 
There is a truth behind the truth. Because I know it looks very much like this underdog story. It does. But it's not that at all. And so where we find Gideon today is that Gideon is sneaking into the camp of the Midianites. He eavesdrops. He eavesdrops on this conversation is what he does. Now, I have this thing, right? And um, Reba was here first service. She's with our family now, kind of getting them off. They were all here visiting this, this weekend with us. But um, as I started to say this, I looked over and saw where Reba was sitting, and she's shaking your head. She's agreeing with me because she knows what I'm going to say. Yeah. That, that I find myself, and I don't know, maybe I'm easily distracted by listening to what other people around me are talking about. So we'll be sitting at a restaurant. Reba will be sitting across from me talking to me. She can tell I'm not fully engaged in our conversation. And she will stop and she will say something to me like, are you listening to what the other table is talking about, right? And I will say, yes, I am. It's something that I do. I don't know. Is it a bad thing or a good thing? I call it an awareness of my surroundings is what I call it, right? Yeah. So how many have ever been out somewhere and you have eavesdropped? Now, this is time to be honest. Don't lie in church, right? But you have eavesdropped on somebody else's conversation. Can I see your hand as well? Oh, good. See, I feel better. Yeah, you're all wired really weird like I am, I guess, right? Yes. And, and so this is exactly what that Gideon is doing. But yet he comes up to this campsite out of all the campsites of the Midianite army. There are so many of them. They're like locusts and, and their camels are so many you can't even count them. And it just so happens that he comes up on this one campsite where they're having this dream and they're talking about him is what they're talking about. And they're talking about a cake of barley, which is the worst kind of bread that can be Baked because it's only the bread. We don't have all the proper ingredients that they would bake. And many times they would feed it to their animals. So it's the least of the bread family, I guess you might say. That rose on a hill, crushes the tent of Midian. And they said, this is the sword of Gideon. And they realize they're going to be overrun by Gideon and his army is what they're saying. So I thought about this a lot. That if your army has been trimmed by God from 32,000 to 300 and you struggled at first to even know if this was God speaking to you. And then God doesn't just give you the best 300 of the 32,000. But maybe he even actually gives you the very worst of the 32,000. Those that drink like dogs, not the cream of the crop. It reminds me of something we said a couple of weeks ago. And that is this, that God's call. And I think this is important for you to wrap your mind around. That God's call does not always make us feel at peace. But his presence does that God will speak things into our life. He will place journeys before us. He will place opportunities before you and I that will actually bring us the opposite of some peace with our lives. It'll bring fear like it did in Gideon's life. But what we understand about the hinge pin verse of this entire narrative of Gideon, that is back in chapter 16, where God says, and the Lord said to him, I will be with him. That is it. And that's where he lies. And that's where he falls on. Because what I realize is that God meets us where we are in our journey, not where God wishes we were on our journey. Just imagine if God always waited to meet you where he wished you were on your journey. Wow. 
then that means that many of us would never have a moment with God. We would never hear the voice of God. We would never feel the direction of God concerning his will for our life. The beauty of all this is that God meets you and I exactly where we are in the middle of our journey, not where he wishes we were on our journey. And thus, he never says to Gideon, Gideon, get your act together, and then I'm going to give you some encouragement. He says, no, Gideon, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of all of your questions, in the middle of even doubt that you might have, then that's where I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to give you this prophetic message at a campsite in the enemy's camp. So I begin to think a little more, right? Because I'm a question person. So I wrote this question in my journal this week. And what was more inspiring to Gideon in this moment of this Holy Spirit directed eavesdropping? Was it the content? Was it the content of the dream? Was it just saying and realizing that he is going to be victorious in all of this? Was it that? Or was it the overwhelming fact that God met him exactly where he was in the middle of his journey where he, what he was dealing with in the middle of his fear, that God directed him to a campsite in the middle of an army, which perhaps could be the one of the most largest armies ever to be known on the face of the earth. Could it be that that was the overwhelming understanding that God is truly with me? And if I come to that realization that God is truly with me, then does it matter if, they, if I have 32,000 or 300? Does it matter that I don't have the 300 very best of Israel, but I perhaps have the 300 of the very worst of Israel? Does it really matter when I know that God is with me? And I think that's where you have to come to in your own spiritual life today. But whatever you're dealing with and whatever battle you're facing and whatever struggle, whatever those things are that maybe you feel that God has called you to face within your life, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's something in a relationship, maybe it's a change that you need to make within your life. And you say, man, this is a huge thing for me. Can I tell you, God meets you right there in the middle of all of that. He does. And he reminds you that your life is not an underdog story. Why? What changes all of that? It's this overwhelming truth that God is with you. And I believe that was enough. That was even more powerful to Gideon than the prophetic message that he heard that day, right? That, that you know, that this was a sign of the sword of Gideon. I think it was even more powerful than that. The reality that God met him in that moment. But what I've experienced in my life is that I haven't had many of those moments, right? I haven't had many of those moments where I overheard somebody at a restaurant having a conversation because I'm either inquisitive or I'm nosy. I don't know, one of the two, right? And, and I haven't heard, overheard them just, just random strangers all of a sudden call out my name and say something about me and my future battle and how God is going to win that. I haven't seen that because you see the overwhelming thing here is this. That if God can order this, if God can bring this moment to pass, then God can order all the details of the battle that is to come for Gideon. Understand that. So I place this right into my 
my court and your court this morning relationally. And I believe this, if God has redeemed you, Understand, you could not save yourself. You were lost, you know. You, you just were absolutely helpless in your own sin. If God has redeemed you, resurrected you, and raised you from death to life spiritually, then he can order everything else in your life. That is the same moment that Gideon had in the Old Testament that you have now in this day, in, the, in, the, in this age of grace, is that God has redeemed you. And if God can do that, then can't, God order everything else in your life. Wow. Your marriage, your future, your your possessions, your resources, your health issues, your family, your academics, everything else. I think when we take a moment and we go back to the cross, to that moment for you and I, you see Gideon's moment was at that rock when God revealed himself through fire and at that moment as well in the wine press when he lays out the fleece before God that he had those moments when God spoke to him. You and I have a moment and that moment is the cross of Christ and what he's done for you and I through his redemptive power. And if he can redeem us, he can do anything else in our life. Can I get an amen? If he can redeem you, he can do miracles in your life. Wow. So look at the person next to you this morning. I know this is an interactive service. You didn't come for that. And say this to them. If God can redeem you, then he can do anything in my life. Say that to them for a moment, would you? You notice you didn't say that he could do anything in their life, right? He could do anything in your life, right? I think we forget that sometimes, don't we? We we get to this place of fear in our lives when God speaks to us or there's a call on our life. Or, and, and when I say a call, don't misunderstand that that's like, you know, what I experienced in a call to, to vocational ministry and to, to pastoring or to preaching. There's, there's, there's many more calls. Many, in fact, that is probably the very, very small percentage of them. There's so much more that God calls us to in life. And we step back and, and, and we go through these, these times where we, we say that, you know, God, that can't happen and, and there's no way and, and man, I'm too afraid of this and I can't step out and we forget about what God has already done in our life. That moment that Gideon had his moment at the stone in the, in the wine press, you've had your moment if you are following Christ today and if you are not, then, then I pray that God is speaking to your heart about this and drawing you by his loving kindness this morning but yet we have this moment at the cross and if he can redeem us, then he can order anything and everything else within our lives. So I got crazy with this thought, you know, and I did. And, and, and so I, I thought about this and I asked myself another question in, in all of this. And I said, if, if, if we could hear the secret conversations of the devil and his comrades, is, is this the same 
content that we would hear if we took this and we lay this whole conversation of this Midianite soldier and his comrade and we lay this over the enemy, our ultimate enemy, and that is Satan, is, is that if we could lay that over him, could we hear the same content? The Israelites have been hiding in caves, man. The Gideon has been threshing wheat in a wine press, pulling down idols in the middle of the night like a ninja at night kind of thing because of his fear. Have you ever stopped and thought about this overwhelming truth that the devil is fearful of the power of Christ that resides within you as a believer. That the very conversation, the content of this conversation that we hear between this Midianite soldier and his comrade is very easily taken and laid over this whole thing of that of our enemy and that of Satan, the devil. And do we hear the same content? Do we hear that? Because if we fall into this category where we think that we're just the underdog story in all of this, then we have forgotten the power of Christ that resides within us as a believer. Can I share with you some text this morning that I think will solidify your understanding of the power that resides in you. Second Corinthians chapter four in verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Can I give you another one this morning? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, is what it says. Another one, Colossians chapter 1, in verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of their mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gideon and his whole dysfunctional band are not the underdogs here. Why? Because back in chapter 6 and verse 34, it says that he was clothed with the spirit of God. And as a believer, so are you. But I believe we go through our lives many times living like that of an underdog. We do feeling like we're the little guy. And, you know, the enemy of our life, whatever it might be, is is that that's the big guy. And we're always trying to somehow play catch up in some way. And what we realize is, no, that the enemy himself, Satan himself, is absolutely fearful of the power of Christ that dwells within you as a believer. So how does Gideon respond? Verse 16, and he divided the 300 into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. I underline that part because it's really important. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. You see, man, that's really prideful for him to say that. That's not prideful at all. And I'll explain it to you in a minute. But when I look at this, what I realize is this, that Gideon wins the championship game is what he does. But he doesn't win it with a first string football team. He wins it with the band. That's what he does. Yes. He wins it with the band. Now, if you're a band member, don't get offended. I didn't mean that in any negative way. But that's exactly, it's what, it's what we, 
what we think would be the greatest power for God to use is not the greatest power at all. But he uses the very weakest in their culture. Because God removes all doubt as to who is behind this. Why does God do that? Because these moments in my life, your life, in the life of Gideon, in the life of Israel, has always been about the glory of God first and foremost. Above everything else, it's about the glory of God and then my joy second. And anytime we get those out of priority, then we fail to understand how God works in my life and your life. Even when he allows us to go through some tough times in life, if we keep that priority at the front of our heart and our mind, it helps us to understand these things. Because here's Gideon who hides in a wine press, struggles with understanding if this is God speaking to him. Jesus, I mean, he brings Jesus a meal. He consumes it with fire. Yet Gideon asks for two more signs. He obeys God in the middle of the night because of his fear. But here, this seems like a different Gideon, doesn't it? Because he finally has a battle plan against the Midianites. He says, look at me, do likewise. Those are powerful words of a very confident leader. What, what transitions, what, what changes Gideon into this leader that he has become? It goes back to this understanding. It goes back to realizing what God said to him in chapter 6, that I am with you. It goes to this moment when he overhears a conversation from a Midianite soldier and his comrade. And Nimrod reminds him that Gideon, I am with you. It doesn't matter how many people you have with you in your army, as long as I am with you. And this is what transforms him into the leader that he becomes. Wow. And when I read this, I realized there's something missing. Because it never says in this text that God gave him that plan. Read it. It doesn't say that. Now, I do believe that he is clothed in the spirit of God. So God is moving and using him and working within him. Yes. But when I realize this, this is the spiritual growth in the process of Gideon. In all of this, it is, yes, about God delivering Israel from the Midianites. But it's also about Gideon and his spiritual growth. Because that's what God is committed to in our life. It's what you and I call the dirt road of sanctification that we walk. And we see that Gideon has grown through all of these struggles and all of these moments to become the person that he is here. It's what we find in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 32. And what more shall I say? He says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of Daniel, and, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fear, Fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Here's what I would say to you this morning. And I don't know where you all are in your spiritual journey, but I would encourage you to, in saying this, afford yourself the spiritual latitude to grow into becoming a Gideon. Afford yourself the spiritual latitude To grow into becoming a Gideon. It doesn't happen overnight. But it does happen. And it's intentional. 
Nobody grows in God in their spiritual life accidentally. It doesn't work that way. It requires some intentionality upon your part. And that's what we see in Gideon's life as he is a seeker of God. He is inquisitive and he's always asking God things. He intentionally seeks God, sometimes foolish as it is with his fleeces, but yet God honors his heart in seeking him. Give yourself the opportunity to grow spiritually in these moments of your life. Look at verse 15. I go back for a moment. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dreams and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, For the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So the second thought is this. God cultivates our faith by by challenging us to take steps of faith. God cultivates our faith by challenging you and I to take steps of faith. That's what he does. Somewhere in your journey, God is going to challenge you to take a risk. He is going to challenge you to take a risk. It's going to happen. And you're going to look at God and are you, are, are you going to say, God, are you sure? You know, you're going to have those moments with God and it's okay to have those moments. We see that in Gideon's life. It's okay. And God's going to say, okay, I'm going to encourage you this way. I'm going to send you to the camp of the enemy and you're going to overhear this dream and you're going to say, God, but couldn't you do it some other way, right? God, couldn't you take that bath mat kind of experience that I put before you before in a fleece? And God, just do some kind of origami on that thing and make it like a a swan or something. God, I'm dealing with this fear of the Midianites, you know, and and you're asking me to do this. You're asking me to stand toe to toe to the very faith or the very fear and doubt of my life. And yes, that is what God will ask us to do. It is. But we go back to the hinge pin of this whole understanding of Gideon and this this thing he said to uh, It's God said to him in chapter six that I am with you, Gideon. I am with you, Gideon. So there's two things here. God will patiently develop your faith. He will. I look at the life of Gideon. There there are moments that he may send you. And and I use these things very loosely. But understand it's just as an example that God may God may send you a, a fire to consume a meal or, or wash and dry the bath mat. Or he may send you a prophetic campfire conversation. But most likely, or at least in my life, there would be moments where God calls you to take steps of faith on your own without those things. It is. So here's how your faith grows in God. And I think this is important for us to understand. Very simplistic, but yet very important that God reveals to you like he does with Gideon. Sometimes it's through scripture, prayer, wise counsel, or maybe it's a sign. I'm not saying that God doesn't talk that way, but yet God reveals to you and you take a step. And then you wait for God and God reveals to you again. And then you take a maybe a bigger step as well. And then as you begin to take maybe the next step as God reveals to you and you take another step. Then what God does is he's going to challenge you in your growth with him. And then what God is going to say to you is this. Take the next step and I'll reveal to you while you're taking that step. You see, God is committed to you, to your growth. God is not going to just let you stay where you are. 
but he's committed to completing what he's already started in your life. So he's going to reveal to you, he's going to take that step as well. That's what he does in Gideon's life. He reveals to Gideon again. Gideon takes this step. And then, well, he does it again. He reveals to Gideon. Gideon goes to Midnight Camp. Then, but what is he doing now? He's telling Gideon, Gideon, you take this step. And in the middle of the step, in the middle of all of this, then I will reveal to you then. Because you've grown in your faith. That's built on trust. You see, that's what God is building in your life. He's building out trust and relationship with him. And that is absolutely important for for you and I to understand. It's it's what is said to you and I in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near, draw near to God. He draws near to you. That I realize that there's there's part of my spiritual growth that God does. Then there's my response. It's God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God speaks, I respond. God speaks, I respond. And then as I grow, then God says, you take a step and I'm going to speak as you take a step. It's our growth in faith is what we see in the life of Gideon. And the first step with God is always, God, I trust you. That's a big step for some of you. To just say to God, God, I trust you. Especially if your trust has been violated in this life by others that you have great respect with, especially if you call, you're going to call him your heavenly father. But if your earthly father has violated some trust with you or, or some other authoritative figure in your life as well. So just saying to God, God, I trust you is a huge step. And so I encourage you that if you're struggling in this area, just start there and say, God, I trust you. God, I know that you promised that you're with me. God, I know that my place is not a stone or it's not a a, a a wine press, but I realize, God, that my place is the cross, and because of what you've done to me and with your and through me with your redemptive power, then I'm going to trust you that you can order everything else in my life. You can order everything else because of what you've done in my life. There's a real powerful scripture that I want to share with you, and you've heard it before, but I want to talk about it for just a moment. Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, if you've ever been in church very long, and if you, first of all, if this is your first time in church, man, we're glad that you're here. If you've never heard this before, then awesome. I'm glad you're hearing it for the first time. But it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a, and a light and to my path. And so I've always thought about this verse. Yes, I want God's word to to be this lamp to my feet. So what is God talking about when he says a lamp into my feet? So I begin to research, and, and what I realize is that, that uh, this is, this is the, actually the lamp that is referred to in this text. When I use fire on stage, it, many times it doesn't work out well for me. It really doesn't, right? But there it goes. You say, Mark, that's not much of a flame. Could you turn the lights down on the stage for me like you did? Perfect. Some of you get nervous when we turn out the lights, right? So here it is, yeah. You say, Mark, that's, you know, if I'm, if I'm gonna ask God for what I've always thought is him being a lamp unto my feet, that, that then it would be some like this massive floodlight that shows everything around me and everything behind me and everything in front of me. But when you really research this text, I have to hold it very carefully or it will go out. When you research the text, it actually refers to, uh uh-oh, 
some sermon behind that of running out uh, of oil in your lamp, right? Yeah, sort of reminds me of the bridesmaid kind of thing, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? So, but this is exactly what the psalmist talks about. Here's why. Because it lights just enough for my steps. In fact, it's probably just enough light for one step. But, you know, that's not what I want from God. I want this, this, you know, have you ever driven at night and, and there's road construction, they have those big lights up on the poles, right? And they blind you because they're so massively bright. I want one of those, God. That's what I want, right? So I could see the end. I, I, I want to dream at a campsite in, in the midnight camp so I can know the end of all this, God. That's what I want. And what God says to us most of the time is this. I'm going to give you a lamp unto your feet so that you will trust me for every step because God desires a relationship with you built on trust and love more than he, and hang on to this for a moment, more than he desires for you to just be happy knowing how the end turns out for you. Think about that. Wow. Is that carpet may be on fire? I don't know, right? <laughs> if the alarm goes off, no worries. We know how to turn it off, okay? Just sit still. Let me pick it up because it's actually burning underneath it. Yeah. I, I think when, when I read this, it just kind of transformed what I thought about this verse, right? That, that God promises us this much light. You say, oh, God's, that's a cruel God. That, that, you know, he, would, he would give us everything. You know, he would just show it all. And it's starting to burn on the inside. So I better blow that out, right? Because if not, we're going to have a fire. And uh, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Sort of like the smoke in the temple, right? It's just there. There it is. There there you go. That actually in God's great love, he lights step by step for us because he loves you so much that he desires that kind of relationship with you. To remind you that what is greater than just you knowing the prophetic details of how the battle is going to turn out, what's actually greater for you is the knowledge and the truth that God is with you. Rest in that today. Just wrap your heart and your mind around that. Because what I realize is that And I wrote this to myself this week that taking the risk for God, taking the, and I use the word risk because I I think we can wrap our mind around that. Taking the risk for God is the fertile ground for our faith life to grow. And God is absolutely committed to growth in your life. So let me finish up with this last text and Allison come out and start playing because if you don't, man, I can keep talking about Gideon. He's so amazing. We got one more week next week, but let me read this last text or well, there'll be one more after this. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men were with him 
came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hand and the torches and, oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself because this is exciting, right? And they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. I don't know if you've ever wondered why they did that. And they use those very words. Now, Gideon told them to say that. But there's a real reason and a powerful reason for that. And we'll talk about that as we close. But, and then every man stood in his place around the camp. And all the army ran. And they cried out and fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So here's the last thought this morning before we leave. Seeing God unquestionably in the details of the narrative changes our perspective. (laughs) Have you taken a moment in your own life to just sit and see the hand of God? You say, right now, Mark, my life is, you know, if it's on the, the sucky meter, then my, I mean, it's like all the way in the red right now, so you don't understand. No, can it, just take a moment. You may not have a rock or a wine press to go back to, but you have the cross. And when you go back to the cross and you see the hand of God in your life, it changes the perspective of everything. Because without that in this Narrative, our perception of this is that Gideon is a, a victim of the Midianite oppression. He may have been victimized, yes, but Gideon is far from a victim. So he cries out, and they all cry out together a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. It's not about pride, but it's actually great wisdom. And I want you to see this before we leave this morning. That if they would have cried out just a sword for the Lord, the Midianites would have not known who they were talking about. Maybe they were talking about one of their gods, which they would have not been afraid of because they believed that their gods were on their side. They would have had no idea who they were speaking of, but they knew Gideon. How did they know Gideon? From a strange dream that God gave some Midianite soldier in the middle of the night and whom he shared with another comrade while being overheard by Gideon and his friend, whom that comrade shared with another one and that comrade shared with another one and those three shared with others exponentially until a great fear of Midian covered, or a great fear of Gideon covered the midnight camp. Do you see how God works? That before a torch was raised, a jar was broken and a trumpet was played, God was already working on behalf of Gideon and the army of Israel. Because God is there for you. God is there for me. That this narrative is how 
God responds to seekers, those that are inquisitive, even at foolish at times when they test God. Those are the weakest in their tribes, yet they're obedient to God and they take a risk because God's heart is moved by obedience long before it's moved by bravery. God was in the camp before Gideon ever launched his strategy for battle. So I believe in closing that we find ourselves in sort of three stages when how God works in our life. And I, and I chose three words that begin with D and you know I just did that because sometimes it's memorable for me. But I think the first thing we find is dreadful, you know, that uh, we face something and God says, oh, nope, that can't stay in your life. You gotta, you gotta get rid of that. And man, God, how do I do that? This, this thing is so embedded within me, Lord. And, and, and God, is this really you speaking to me? And, and how, do, how do I trust you, God? And then I think there's a moment of, it's where it's demanding that we take that step and that risk of, of faith and we sneak into the camp and we overhear a conversation like it. And I think, the last, I couldn't leave the last D word out and, and the last D word is done. Say, Mark, that's about as well, creative as peanut butter and jelly, right? It's just not creative. Well, but I think it's true. So I had to have the done part there because of verse 25. And this is where we end this morning. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. But look, look, look at these words. And I geek out, I know, but, you know, bear with me, right? They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb. Don't you love the Old Testament, right? You can just see them kind of walking around with their heads like this, and they, they bring them to Gideon across the Jordan, but that's not the important part of the verse. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb at, they killed at the winepress of what is that so important Mark because where did all this start for Gideon where it started at a rock where God sends a fire it starts in a wine press where God hears Gideon's words and Gideon tests God and God responds and God says to him at that moment I am with you because it all comes back to that. It always comes back to that moment. Forgetting it was the rock and the wine press. For you and I, it's the cross of Christ where God says, I am with you. I have this. I have this. And if God can order my redemption, if God can change me personally, then God can order everything else about my life. Trust him. So for a moment, can I pray with you today? If you would take a posture of prayer, yes, for some of you, that's bowing your heads or closing your eyes or just sitting there quietly and allowing God to speak to you this morning. And just let me pray with you for a moment. So Father, here we are as your children. 
And God, this, this story is, is so powerful and detailed, Lord. There's so much here for us to digest spiritually. So Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to digest all these elements of this story today. And God, speak to us. Thank you, Father, that you chose to place characters and narratives like Gideon's in the middle of the book of Judges for us. For those of us that are maybe at the dreadful stage, God, that we're facing something that is painful. God, we're even questioning, have you spoken to us or is it just us? God, for those of us that are at this place of demanding where, Lord, we know that we need to take this step. We feel that in our own hearts and our own spirits, God. And you've revealed yourself to us. Now we need to take that step. And you remind us, God, that the done portion of this is your part. Completely. Because you're already in the camp working before we ever step foot there. Because you promised us that you are with us. You promised us, Father. So God, we lay at your feet today those moments and those times, those struggles of ours. God, that thing that you've called us to walk away from, to put down, that enemy of our life. And God, we are reminded today through this Old Testament narrative that you are with us. You are with us, Father. And you light our path step by step. But it's a light that is dependable and trustworthy, never failing. Spirit, speak to us powerfully today. And we give you thanks in your name. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.